Hey, how was your weekend? If you're listening in Ireland in October 2023, just like me, you probably had an unexpectedly warm one. It's almost as if summer has returned for a few days. And I've got to admit, when you're in the middle of it, it's really nice to just have to wear a t-shirt and be able to go outside and not get wet. Sometimes I hear people say Ireland could do with a little bit more global warming, but I think our listeners probably know different. In the episode on our weather a few weeks ago, Noel Fitzpatrick spoke about how small changes here aren't reflective of the massive changes that are being felt in other parts of the world. And so we wanted to look further afield today, to step outside Ireland and hear from people in the continent that's at the forefront of our fight against climate change. South America. This episode will sound a little different because for some of our guests, English is not their first language. So we've had to work with very kind translators to get their message across as best as we could. We're going to visit two countries, in a little bit, Brazil, but firstly we're going to visit Colombia, where they speak Spanish, to meet some young climate activists not that different from you and I. Young people who want to make a difference where they live. So hi, I am Gabriela and I'm part of Pachamama a climate organization here based in Colombia. Nice to meet you. My name is Juan. I am 16 years old. I am a member in Nayib Pachamama, the climate movement in the Colombian territory. I have been involved in Fridays for Futures since I was 14, almost 15. When I speak in Spanish, I realized we are the stars later. Okay. So Juan's climate activism started when he was 13 years old, and it started in San Carlos de Guaroa, here in Colombia, more specifically in the department of Meta. Uh, his main motivation was with other colleagues from the region uh, to go back to our roots, to take back the message from indigenous communities and peasants and take it to, to the climate agenda. The climate agenda couldn't be closer to home than for those who live in and around the Amazon rainforest. About 55% of Colombia is forested, covered by two main rainforests, the Amazon and the Chaco. The Amazon spans across nine South American countries, although most of it is contained within the borders of Brazil. It is one of the world's most biodiverse places, home to over 3 million animals and over 2,500 plant species. And for a very long time, it suffered huge amounts of deforestation, which is a tragedy as every country in South America has its own unique biodiversity. So Colombia is the second most biodiverse country in the world. So we have a great responsibility regarding climate change because we have the lungs of the planet in the Amazon rainforest. But besides the Amazon rainforest, that it is really, really important for all the world, we also have different biomes that are essential. We have a lot of paramos. I forgot how to mention it in English. And we're the country with most paramos in the world. This is a very important ecosystem because it captures a lot of CO2. And in addition, it is a place where we have a lot, a lot of water. And from this ecosystems is that we, we survive in the cities and we survive in different places all around Colombia and, and actually in the world. So a bit like our bogs, paramos are unique biomes that support huge varieties of plant and animal life but they are high-altitude ecosystems that can only be found in the Andean region. They contain over 3,000 plant species and over 120 bird species, so you can see why it's essential that they be protected. And right now, Colombia has a leader in Gustavo Petro, 
who seems to want to do just that. So it is really important that we actually make public policies to protect the Amazon. That's why President Petro, his speech has been centered, especially in protecting the Amazon. And that's why recently they united at Brazil, at the Amazon, and they're going to unite in Brazil next month with President Lula. And this is going to be a really important meeting worldwide because they're going to talk about what are the next steps and what are they going to do. And we also have uh, a really important responsibility in making a pact, joining forces with other Latin American countries to present a vision of how, as Latin America, we're going to make something and present it at spaces such as COP28 and international negotiations in which we have to really go as a single union uh, as Latin America and not only Colombia, Brazil, sep in separate, but really unite the message. Part of the work that Juan and Gabriela do in uniting the message is under the umbrella of an organization called Pachamama. Pachamama, Pachamama is a movement we started with some colleagues in Colombia with the aim of inspiring climate action in all the territory and tackling issues that are pressing and that must be addressed urgently. We started with the goal also of including voices from different regions that are not usually represented in different spaces of incidents, such as conferences and other spaces that are essential for the participation of leaders and activists from the front lines. Those different lanes include people who live in cities, people who live in more rural areas, but really importantly, some of those most affected by the devastation caused by deforestation and other environmental damage. So who are the MAPA, the most affected people in areas in South America? MAPA is composed not only by the indigenous communities that are really important, but also by women that have been underrepresented, by LGBTQ plus groups by communities that also MAPA uh, refers to yeah to the women that, that work a lot that have a lot of, of work in their families but it's not usually well paid back and it represents the women that also give their lives sometimes in the territory fighting for their territory and fighting for their causes and fighting for their families too. But it's also a fight towards climate intersectional justice. That intersectional climate justice is about all voices being present at the table. Last year at COP27, representatives of countries that are losing land to sea level rise and ancestral forests to logging were present. But it's hard to know if their voices were truly heard. A couple of weeks ago, we were offered a very rare opportunity to meet an actual tribal leader. Not from Colombia, but instead from the Amazon rainforest in Brazil. Chief Chuanova Era and his daughter, Yeke Hunikuen, from the Amazonian Hunikui, have been travelling around Europe to spread a message of hope and resilience from their tribe to ours. We met in Mud Island Community Garden, and again, we needed to use the translator because Twin speaks Portuguese. My name is Davi Leon. 
and I'm translating for Twin Nova Era here today. Eu sou Twin Nova Era. My name is Twin Nova Era from the Huniquin tribe. I live in Brazil in the Amazon in the state of Acre in the settlement called Espelho da Vida and I'm the chief and the leader of this community and I'm here in Europe sharing my indigenous culture and the work of our coach. But just how long have Twin and his people been resident in the Amazon rainforest? Eu estou aqui na voz da floresta e nós povo Huniquin in our understanding, as an indigenous from Brazil, with all the indigenous from Brazil as well, we are the original people and we are there since the beginning. Having been connected for so long, I asked what exactly does the forest mean to Twin and his people? So the forest is our life. E assim vai passando de geração para geração, aonde está estabelecido a nossa cura sagrada das plantas medicinais. The forest is our mother, the forest is our father, the forest is going to raise us, it's going to raise our child, it's going to raise the kids of our child. So without the forest, we don't survive. Without the animals of the forest, we don't survive. We are the forest. And the forest, we consecrate the forest as a power of the great spirit. So within the forest, there's all our food, all our medicine. That approach, the idea of being a part of the land we live in, as well as being a part of you, is something that starts when you're really young. I was really interested to find out what it's like to be a child who grew up in the Amazon. Pois então, é muito importante uh, o crescimento, o nascimento e o crescimento de um de um jovem, né? To grow up in the Amazon is to grow up in deep connection with their landscape. So you have your feet in the ground, you have your skin out in the sun, you have the forest, you have the animals, you have the water. O calor do sol e também conhecendo toda a diversidade que vive So you grow up with an intense sense of connection and belonging to the landscape and a sense of no separation and how much that creates an adult and, and leads to a, a sense of connection and well-being. Well, I think I want that. Oftentimes we miss the connection we might once have had because it's not something we're born into. I genuinely have no idea what I'd do were I dropped in the middle of the rainforest, but I wouldn't be. And in fact, most people who call the rainforest home do not want people to interfere, as Juan explained. The indigenous people from the rainforest have responded to erosion and all of this, asking politicians and the occident not to intervene in, in the processes that are happening in their communities. Because only the only thing that has left is is extractivism and blood. Indigenous communities don't want interventions to arrive to negotiate with them and to take from them what belongs. Dear, they really want to be in peace with the, their territory and not have interventions from other people. That desire for people to keep out of their running of the forest is really understandable given the levels of destruction brought there over the last 100 years. I think all of us know of its importance and yet it has been in turmoil. In 2004, the Amazon lost a staggering 28,000 square kilometres of forest. Then President Lula da Silva changed tack to slow that and by 2012, that figure had fallen to just 4,600 square kilometres a year. The destruction remained relatively low over the next few years, until 2019. Then Jair Bolsonaro came into power. 
He stripped enforcement measures, cut spending for science and environmental agencies, foreign environmental experts and pushed to weaken indigenous land rights, among many other activities, largely in support of the agribusiness industry, which was a tragedy. Since the last election, he is out and Lula has returned, hopefully with a mandate to slow that destruction once again. Apart from the obvious damage it does to a rainforest, known as the Earth's lungs, this deforestation also has the potential to destroy a people. And what happens then? So when you force and when you destroy an indigenous community and by the power of big companies and the big powers, you're not destroying only the people, but you're destroying nature itself because that's what indigenous people are. Because e aonde convivemos com mantendo nosso costume e tradição significa que quando se sai uma aldeia de indígena uma tribo acaba a natureza porque nós somos a natureza e a natureza somos nós so you're destroying the lives you're destroying the knowledge of the land the, the quality of the water because that's what they are uma tribo é destruir toda a natureza as águas os rios a floresta todos os animais e até nós they are nature themselves Nature and indigenous people have been taken out of the equation for one reason only, and that is profit. When people see an opportunity to make money by clearing trees and forgetting responsibilities to the people most affected, it's something that has to be protested against. But as Juan and Gabriela explained, protesting isn't easy in every single country. And in Colombia, it can be deadly. The most pressing issue we have right now here in Colombia, besides deforestation, is the assassination of climate and social leaders from the front lines. As you may know, Colombia is the most dangerous place to be a leader. It is really, really sad that it, defending the life and defending the territory actually cost life. In the national context of different internal wars, many communities have been affected and they are really afraid of expressing their opinions and of fighting back different processes that will affect the territory. That's why uh, Juan mentions that the most pressing issue right now is the assassination of climate and social leaders. I kind of can't believe it. We were at a climate protest a few weeks ago, a gathering of people walking peacefully assisted by the Guardi to voice their concerns and fears over our climate. But they were able to do that without the threat of violence. But despite the threats, protests across the world around the climate crisis continue. And that protest is essential, especially when some of the threats could mean that those indigenous lands would be taken away. At the moment in Brazil, there's a very big law being approved in which they change the ownership of the land from the indigenous people and the protection areas. It's called the temporal mark, and they want to change the reference in which dictates who owns traditionally that land, and they want to bring it to 1988, after loads of historical abuse and, and violence since the colonization, and then now mainly from farming, logging, mining, that's the main threats that they're really forcing. And so it's very near to be approved and that would take the inherent right of those people to manage that land and live there. And with that, we are giving away nature to the powers of economy and for mining and for logging and for all those. Many of these laws in Brazil were enforced and enacted by their previous president, Bolsonaro. He mightn't have made as many headlines as Donald Trump, but the impact he had was vast. But, and this is a big but, 
People showed that this was not the way they wanted their country to be led, and in 2021, Bolsonaro was voted out to be replaced by Lula. And we asked Tuin if he felt more positive about how politicians would deal with his people since Lula regained the presidency. So when Bolsonaro came into power, there was a lot of losses on indigenous rights, a lot of losses. Lula coming in was a huge joy, and they thank Yushibu, which is the great spirit, for him coming in, because he's reorganizing and reframing some of the legislation. But there is an institutional power, like very established in Brazil, who still has a lot of power. But they are happy with the change, and they're hopeful that that's going to bring positive change. And those changes can only happen whilst we focus attention on them. And despite the dangers of it, in Colombia, protest is still essential. Despite all the problems and the risks we have and we can run as Colombians protesting, there are several different values that characterize Colombians and make us, uh, no matter all these problems, have participation in protests, such as resistance, courage, and resilience. In 2021 and 2022, protests in Colombia increased, and this was because Colombians were united to defend the country and to defend the future of Colombia. With different cultural and important protests that not only included raising our voices, but also dances and music and historical references from the mobilizations. This space was a great opportunity for us to get united as a nation and to get united as a people. And last but not least, Juan mentions that if he could define one aspect of all these mobilizations would be diversity. Diversity in every person who is in our country and every person who fights every single day for Colombia. And in Brazil, it's no different. Because it's so essential those voices can be heard and celebrated in all the ways you possibly can. So the indigenous Brazilian from the Amazon, they are the heart and the lung of the forest in the world and the birthplace of many rivers from around the world. We have loads of culture around the world and we need to celebrate all those cultures. And we need to also celebrate this culture, which is the forest and the base of every life as nature and the planet. So when we're threatening and not able to listen to this wisdom, we're threatening the culture of, of all. So we need to be able to incorporate this diversity and honor this source. And this connection turns out to be an illness of everyone, an illness of the body, of our health, of our mind, and it leads to the destruction of all, not only the indigenous. So as a seed and a spring of life to be maintained. This disconnection from nature has led us down a path that means we have to act, and act now. I believe we are at a stage where we cannot make the same mistakes we have made over the years, over the past. We have to stop thinking that the next generation will solve climate change or the next generation will, will solve the problems that current adults or people from the past caused. This is very serious because our future really is now and the results must be seen now and must be taken now. Europe has been watching the heat waves, Colombia, the phenomenon of 
el niño y la niña, and Pakistan has also experienced different climate effects. We must take action now to change our future and prevent our extinction. And it does seem like political action is having an effect. Deforestation in Colombia dropped by 29% in 2022, falling to the lowest level in nearly 10 years under Petro. He seems committed to greater investment in Amazon conservation. These two sets of campaigners live in different countries and come from different backgrounds. There's over 6,000 kilometres between Brasilia, the capital of Brazil, and Bogota, the Colombian capital. And yet, they share a common goal. We spoke to Juan and Gabriela via Zoom and to Tuan in person because he came to visit us here. Both in Colombia and Brazil, they're trying to imagine a better future. And so, as we finished up, I asked Juan and Gabriela in an ideal world, what would Colombia look like in 10 years' time? Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> I think I'm going to first answer as Juan and then answer by myself. Para definir un to answer this perfecto, question, first I have to say, how is our country conformed? No? Who make part of Colombia? Our national territory is composed by peasants, paisales, palinqueros, who are found throughout the territory. An ideal future would be to reach emissions and net zero, uh, would be to be to have a just and cleaner country in terms of energy and public policies. We want a country in which our politicians work towards the people from different communities and territories, not only for the city, uh, where everyone is present at the table to take decisions. Despite we have been advancing significantly, including different positions and perspectives in public policies, in politics and in really important and pressing decisions. There's a lack of inclusion in the dialogue. A perfect future 10 years from now would include a more just, transparent and sustainable country for all. I have feelings on these two. So 10 years from now, I hope that in that time, there's no Colombians that have to worry about war. You know, like here in Colombia, War and the internal conflicts have been happening all the life, for instance, of my parents and my grandma. I remember one time I asked my grandma, like, if you would like one thing to happen in five years, what would that be? And she, she said, like, I would like to live in peace. I don't want anyone to come to my home and I don't want to listen to the news because it's frustrating. I don't want anyone to take that peace from, from my life and to take this peace from people that live in different places that are not cities sometimes. And I also would like that, well, we, we actually meet the, the net zero. That would be great. I think 10 years from now, that will be possible. But I'm hopeful that we take a lot of action to preserve the Amazon rainforest and also to listen more to the indigenous perspectives on how to tackle climate change. I would love that we include all these visions from indigenous communities in our daily life. It would be great if in school we had a class on how to take care of Mother Earth, but not from a science perspective, but from an indigenous community's perspective. That would be amazing. Like, it should not be something we're told to take climate action. It should be something inside ourselves that's not asked, but just done. I couldn't agree more. Gabriel and Juan keep fighting. The struggle in South America is so important, 
but so difficult. Sometimes it's hard to know from where they find their resilience. And so we asked two in just that. How do they keep going? Bem, então, é, diante desse mundo que nós vemos vivendo, mas nós somos ligados muito à nossa espiritualidade, que é do nosso ancestral, né, que aonde está infiltrada todo nessas naturezas, na água, no sol. So our connection é, to the land is mediated estrelas, through ar, medicine and food, terra, and our spirituality is of deep communion, é in which we can harmonize with the então, great spirit. And when we're harmonizing, we are celebrating, we're accessing dias, love, joy, and energy, which allow us to survive and to thrive. I feel incredibly lucky to be able to bring these two viewpoints onto Econiction. Thanks to Mud Island for allowing us to visit, Davy for translating, and of course, Tuan for speaking with us. And thanks to Juan, David, and Maya in Colombia, along with Gabriela, who, as you heard, wasn't only the translator, but also a member of Fridays for Future. Speaking with them also feels like a privilege. But the more young people across the world connect, the better chance we'll have of combating indifference over the denial of indigenous lands. Basically, it's beautiful to see how despite our differences and the distinctions, we have actually more similarities than we think. And young people from all over the world have come together for the same cause, for having a future. And he says that he's also really grateful with you to actually listen to our perspective and take us into account. And Juan hopes that in the next COP, in COP28, our governments and politicians actually take action for change. I'll end by asking two and one question. Do you have hope for the future? I do and we all do. We have a lot of hope and we want to live a future of knowledge and transformation. Eco Nation was produced by Nikki Cochran with edit assistance from Hugh Fowler and it was presented by me, Evie Kenny. Here on Ecolution, we like to tell you all that we can about the climate crisis. But we're just one show. Well, we're happy to say we've teamed up with an amazing show in Canada called 10 Minutes to Save the Planet. If this episode has whetted your appetite for more stories, why not check out their podcast too? Hey, I'm Johanna Wagstaff. And hi there, I'm Rohith Joseph. And we're asking for 10 minutes of your day to go through the 10 things that the UN recommends we can all do when it comes to climate change. Please don't leave. No. And also the things (laughs) aren't new. We are just wired to not do them. We promise you to help you figure out your brains and you and your people can make better choices to combat climate change. 10 Minutes to Save the Planet is available now on CBC Listen and everywhere you get your podcasts.